This episode brought to you by Audible, your audio book source with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. So don't wait. That's audibletrial.com slash sports for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? Welcome to episode 26, and I am your host, Richmond Weaver. Glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. I hope everyone's been able to take a deep breath after the first full weekend of college football action in 2017. And now we can really start digesting all that we learned. So stay tuned to later in the episode for some thoughts around what we may or may not have learned. Now, speaking of learning, our guest this episode follows right in line with one of our earlier guests that we had in episode 16, and that was with Ryan Hawk, the creator and host of the Learning Leader Show podcast, which explores the concept of sustained excellence. And that's from some of the top leaders in various walks of life. And what Ryan describes as one of the main traits that all of these individuals with this sustained excellence have demonstrated and have in common, and that's that all of them are always seeking more knowledge and wanting to continue learning. And that is so true for our guest this episode with Alan Stein Jr., who is a true basketball guy as a basketball performance coach, but he's so much more than that. And I know you'll have a great opportunity of learning more about him and even potentially having some self-reflection as well. So now before we jump into the Rich Spotlight, just wanted to remind everybody, please visit the website richtakeonsports.com and you can find all of the information about the podcast, previous episodes, various ways to subscribe, and also follow on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. And now it's time for the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. Our guest in episode 26 is leadership performance coach Alan Stein Jr. Now, Alan is a veteran basketball performance coach for the past 15 years, working with some of the top basketball athletes, including several NBA players such as Kevin Durant. Alan has continued his performance coaching into the business sector, where he has helped organizations utilize the same strategies in business that elite athletes and coaches use to perform at a world-class level. He's also a host of the Pure Sweat Basketball Show podcast, and since Alan has been involved with basketball for so many years, one of the first things that we were able to discuss was how the landscape of basketball is changing, especially in terms of recruiting, the summer camps, and sports specialization, and I wanted to get his thoughts. 
Well, first and foremost, I'm a diehard college basketball fan and a college basketball purist. So I'm, I'm always hoping that whatever changes are made for the game, they're always made for the better and for the, for the purity of the game. I mean, I'm a fan first and foremost, uh, having been in the business for a while, uh, I will say over the last couple of years, I've slowly been removing myself from that summer scene, uh, as I'm pursuing some different endeavors in the corporate world. Um, but I will always want to serve the player and coach community because the game of basketball has been unbelievably good to me. But I know that from a a 30,000 foot overview that players and parents have always been way too concerned with exposure and not enough, not putting enough focus on the actual development of their game. You know, we're, we're at a point now where the landscape of youth and high school basketball, it's I'm a year round sport. You know, it's, it's not good enough just to play for your high school team in the winter. And now you're expected to play for a competitive travel team in the spring. And same thing in the summer, as well as attend a bunch of camps and events and, and, and tournaments and so forth. And then school starts up again. Uh, and I've always felt that having a distinct off season, which unfortunately kids don't have anymore was the best time for a player to really work on their individual game and then return to their team as a better individual player and then use that to maximize their role to raise the level of the entire team because we can't forget that basketball is a team game. Uh, and, and sometimes it saddens me that, that kids get too caught up in the hype of being seen and playing in these events instead of really working on their game. And I'm not anti-exposure. I'm not anti-quote-unquote AAU by any means. Uh, I would just like to see some more moderation. So instead of kids playing games, you know, playing 150 games over the spring and summer, I'd rather see them play 20 to 25 games and spend hundreds of hours in the gym by themselves or with a competent coach or teammate working on their specific skills of, of shooting, passing, rebounding, defending, and handling the ball. So uh, it is a big business. Uh, I know lots of people that, that do run events. Some of them are, are very noble and do it the right way for the right reasons. Uh, but also, unfortunately, there's a lot of people just looking to grab a quick buck, and they're doing that you know, at, at the mercy of, of players and, and parents and coaches. So my feeling is pretty adamant that Players should be so much more focused on developing their game and growing as a player and learning how to play the game the right way, uh, learning how to improve their skill sets and their athleticism so that they can maximize their role either for their current team or whatever their role may be if they're fortunate enough to play beyond high school and not get so caught up in this, this hype and, as you so astutely mentioned, this business. I agree with you 100%. I think there definitely needs to be a balance. Now, you mentioned your love of basketball, so let's take a step back and go back to your childhood and share with us your earliest memories of sports and what attracted you to sports. I was exposed to sports at a very early age. I mean, I think some of my earliest memories that I can still recall are probably around kindergarten age. So that four or five, six year old age. Uh, and I was very fortunate to have supportive parents that encouraged and allowed me to try a bunch of different things. So I remember playing soccer and street hockey, and I remember riding a skateboard and a BMX bike and playing basketball and, and t-ball and martial arts and, and really trying a little bit of everything. And, and I'm very thankful that I did that. And I always kept coming back to basketball. I mean, I enjoyed those other activities. I mean, many of them I did for years, but there was something about the game of basketball that, that always made it my first love. So that has been without question my number one passion uh, since that kindergarten age. Uh, As I started to get older uh, and take the game a little more serious when I was in high school, uh, knew that I wanted to play in college if that was possible, uh, I started to have an equal affinity 
for the performance side. So not just the skills of the game, but also learning how to run faster and jump higher, get in great basketball shape, uh, work on things like balance and deceleration and, and so forth. So then I started to marry the two passions I had, one for basketball and one for performance training, and took a real interest in basketball performance training. And that's really what I've done for most of my career. Uh, as I've continued to evolve, uh, as I got older through my late 20s, in addition to basketball and in addition to performance training, I started to have an equal affinity for being a role model for younger players and, and being able to, to, to teach them the tenets of leadership and teamwork and habits and accountability and really just using basketball as a platform for a much bigger purpose. And as that evolution continued to take place, which is in kind of my fourth iteration for where I am now, it's still using those main pillars of success and, and again, of leadership and teamwork and culture building, uh, what the best do during the unseen hours. And now I'm trying to share that with a variety of different audiences that far exceed just basketball players and coaches. But the main theme through all of these different iterations and all of these different paths that I've taken has always been the game of basketball. And there's just something magical about a game that requires you as an individual to be the best player that you can be, but to do so within a very distinct role so that you can help everybody else on your team play the best that they're capable of and collectively try to achieve something as a group. I think basketball is, is really neat in that sense that it, it combines both the individual who puts in the work and makes the sacrifices with the team. Uh, and and it's just, there's just something about the game that has just kept me alive for the last, you know, I mean, I've been alive for 41 years, but I've been passionate about basketball for about 36 of them. So at what point in middle school, high school, did you decide that basketball is the only sport I'm going to focus on? I played multiple sports all the way up through my junior year in high school. Uh, I played soccer, uh, my freshman and sophomore years, as well as basketball, and actually played football and basketball my junior year. So it really wasn't until my senior year that I chose to just do basketball. Uh, and that is when I decided that I was going to play in college. I was able to play at Elon College, which is now Elon University in North Carolina. Uh, and once I had made the commitment to play there, uh, I wanted to focus solely on basketball. But but even throughout the time that I was playing one other varsity sport in high school, I was still doing martial arts. Uh, I, again, I know it's not necessarily a sport, but I was still uh, into the skateboarding and BMX scene. I mean, I was doing other physical activities. So it really was not until I was a senior in high school that I put all my eggs in one basket and just did the game of basketball. And And I really believed that playing those other sports and doing those other activities for so long helped me in a variety of ways. It certainly helped me from a mental standpoint to be able to compete and work on something other than the game of basketball, to give my mind a little bit of a break from the game. Uh, and then as well as my body, I mean, basketball uh, is a repetitive sport. You do the same movement patterns over and over. So to be able to give your body a little bit of break and do something physically active that doesn't require those specific movement patterns is good for the body. And I don't believe that it took away from me in any way, shape or form of basketball. I don't think I would have been any better of a player had I started specializing in basketball in seventh or eighth grade. In fact, I think it actually uh, added to that. Now, I certainly was not an exceptional player, nor was I an exceptional athlete. I mean, decent in both regards, but uh, not compared to what the, the best do. Uh, but I'm very confident that, that taking that approach and trying different things and quote unquote cross training per se uh, was very, very advantageous in my development. 
And then you had mentioned how you started gravitating towards the performance side and even in high school. So was that something that you took upon yourself or did you have training opportunities like they have today and like what you're doing? You know, it's a little bit of both. I mean, in full transparency, the first thing that attracted me to the weight room in high school was I wanted to build muscle and look better for girls. It really wasn't designed to improve my basketball athleticism because in now I'm 41 years old. So this is in the early nineties that I was in high school. Uh, Most players, even at the professional level, your, your magics and your, your Larry birds were not strength training and lifting weights for basketball. So the first thing that got me in the weight room was I was very skinny and I wanted to put on some muscle to look better for the girls. Uh, now getting in basketball shape and being able to run sprints and work on plyometrics and jump higher, that was definitely something I was into. Uh, but as I started to tiptoe into this, the only guidance I had originally was the only real guidance at the time. Remember, this is still pre-internet for the most, uh, you know, for the most part. So muscle and fitness and some of these bodybuilding magazines were my first exposure to this. Now, uh, I didn't really have much of a choice then. Looking back, obviously, given this has been my profession for 15 years, I realized that muscle and fitness is far from the best resource to train a basketball player. Uh, But it was the only resource available for someone that knew what they were doing to strength train. So uh, the good part about that was as I started to follow some of the bodybuilding stuff originally, uh, I learned the importance of proper form. I learned the importance of working your entire body, not just a single muscle group. Um, So I did pick up a couple of good traits, but uh, I would say it was junior year. Uh, I met a guy that was a trainer in this area, a guy named John Philbin, who was very influential in my in the early stages of my career. Uh, he was the strength and conditioning coach uh, for the Washington Redskins, and he was a b- pretty big name in this DC area. And he had owned a health club uh, that I worked out. And I got to talking to him one day and his training philosophy blew my mind because the way he was training professional athletes was 180 degrees different than everything I was reading in these bodybuilding magazines. Uh, he was into very high intensity, very little number uh, of, of sets, uh, very brief workouts, but they were super intense. Whereas a bodybuilding workout, you know, you're doing five or six sets for your biceps and then you move to a different, it was completely different. And I was somewhat fascinated by that. And he basically said to me, look, if you come train with me for one summer before your senior year of high school and you listen to everything I say and you do everything I say, no questions asked, I will get you in the best shape of your life. And I'm telling you now that I'm going to do things very different than I've seen you doing them here in my my gym. And even though I was very narrow-minded and very hard-headed as a, as a teenager, somehow, some way, I, I, I trusted him and I said, okay, I'll give you my summer. And I worked out with him for an entire summer And true to form, I got in phenomenal shape. I probably put on 15 to 16 pounds of muscular body weight that summer, which is a lot for a, you know, a 16, 17 year old and completely transformed my body. And I did so following a methodology that was completely different than anything I'd ever seen or heard. And that is what got me hooked and got the light bulb to go off and thought, man, this is pretty awesome. This guy worked with me for seven or eight weeks, completely transformed my body. I feel that I'm a much stronger, uh, better athlete, and I'm you know, uh, going to be a better player because of it. This is what I want to start doing with my life. And that was really kind of the trigger point and um, kind of pursued that through college and, and dabbled in a variety of different training philosophies and methodologies. And so I, I really give him credit to kind of giving me my start and really 
ignite that fire in performance training inmates. Now you're getting into performance coaching. What was that process like after you graduate, Elon, and you've got to start a career? So walk us through how that happened. So I graduated Elon in 1998, and in 1998, less than one-third of MBA teams even had a part-time strength and conditioning consultant. You know, I mean, now in, in 2017, every single MBA team doesn't have a strength and conditioning coach. They have an entire performance staff. They have performance coaches. They have athletic trainers. They have nutritionists and massage therapists and people that do yoga and Pilates. I mean, they literally have an entire staff. All 30 teams do. And you go back 20 years where some of them just kind of had a consultant. So uh, when I was graduating college, this was not really a legitimate profession. Uh, Tim Grover, you know, who's famous for working out Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, he was about the only guy uh, of note. So uh, I got in at a time where no one else was even doing it, um, which was great because there wasn't a lot of competition and it allowed me to kind of explore and try some different things. And, you know, at that time, certainly wanting to work with NBA players was a desire because that was more ego driven. Uh, but being in the DC area, we have some really, really good youth and high school basketball programs here. So I kind of immersed myself in the high school landscape and cut my teeth on the craft of performance work in the private sectors. I was able to, to kind of control my schedule, work with who I wanted, when I wanted, doing what I love to do, which was training basketball players. So uh, I never really had a quote unquote conventional job or, you know, a nine to five or worked for anybody else. I've kind of been in the private sector as a solo entrepreneur uh, for the beginning stages of my career. And it, it worked out perfect. I mean, the good part was, you know, when you're, when you're in a, when you're your own boss and you're a solo entrepreneur, uh, you've got to hustle. I mean, you've got to work because everything is commission-based. If I'm not training anybody, then I'm not making any money. So uh, that almost forced me to work on my craft. And there was probably a seven or eight year period where I was training seven days a week from sunup to sundown. I mean, I would train regular fitness clients during the day, during the school year when kids were at school. But, you know, I'd be training some players before school started. I'd train them after school, long into the evening. And it really allowed me to work on the craft of being a performance coach. And, uh, you know, there were some, some long hours and long days and weeks and months. But uh, looking back on it, I'm very, very thankful that that was the path I took uh, because it, it kind of goes back to that purposeful practice. And I, that was my lab for almost a decade of working with players and, and really allowed me to develop my own philosophy and methodology and convictions on training. So it was a, a really influential period in my life. So what is your philosophy? From a training standpoint, uh, my philosophy is basketball players need to train in a way that's conducive for the game. They need to train the movement patterns the way that they were called in the game, the basketball players, they're not football players. They're not track athletes. They're not bodybuilders or power lifters or Olympic lifters. So they don't need to train like those folks. Now that doesn't mean that we don't use some of the exercises or methodologies from each of those, but for a basketball player to follow a power lifting routine or a basketball player to follow a football training program is not in their best interest. Uh, I also believe very heavily that the number one reason that a player should be on a performance program is to reduce the occurrence and severity of injury. They should be trying to bulletproof their body. Well, if you look at a basketball player, the areas that tend to get injured the most are the ankles, the knees, the hips, the low back, the hamstrings. So those need to be the areas that get the most attention when training. Uh, then secondarily, in addition to reducing the occurrence and severity of injury, the basketball players should be looking to improve 
their athleticism so that they can perform their skills at a higher level and perform their skills with more efficiency and perform their skills for longer before fatigue sets in. So basketball strength and conditioning is a means to an end. It's all done to produce a healthy, uh, fluid athlete on the court that can shoot, pass, rebound, handle the ball and defend at a higher level. And that's really uh, the, the nuts and bolts of what I believe. So everything I do from a training standpoint always goes back to that foundation. So speaking of that, the elite athletes that you have trained, what have you learned or some of the common traits of these athletes outside of what you mentioned that the God has given them an unbelievable athletic ability? The things they do during the unseen hours, uh, my, my partner at Pure Sweat, uh, Drew Hanlon, the founder and owner of Pure Sweat and the best skills coach on the planet, uh, termed that unseen hours. And I, I fell in love with that as soon as he said it. The best of the best, it's the things they do when nobody else is watching that makes them great. Uh, it's not just enough to work hard during a workout. What are you going to do after that workout? Are you going to rest and recover? Are you going to eat properly? Are you going to get enough sleep? Do you have the, the daily habits and mindsets and rituals and routines and disciplines required to be the best that you can be? And uh, the other thing that, that makes the best the best they take advantage of every opportunity to get better. Every time they're in the weight room or on the court or they're going through a workout, they realize that is a chance for them to improve their craft and, and develop their game, and they take advantage of it. They take advantage of it by being highly focused. They take advantage of it by giving a great effort. I mean, they leave no stone unturned when it comes to working on their craft. And certainly there's a, a longer list of things, but those are the primary two that the best of the best do. And the part that's really neat is uh, that the principles of achievement in basketball are the same as the principles of achievement in any area of life, whether it's your, your personal life, whether it's business, uh, what have you, uh, the most successful people in the world, they also do those two things. It's not just the LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry's that do them. It's the same thing for, for any successful CEO or, or leader or parent. I mean, they're doing the same types of things. And that's, Really why I've kind of made this recent transition into the corporate world is because these traits and characteristics and habits that I've learned from the best players and coaches in the world are the same things that businesses need to do if they want to be highly successful and build a winning culture uh, and improve their profit. So it's really neat that, that these habits transcend. And again, I was able to be a fly on the wall and learn these habits from some really great players. But now that I've been able to implement them in my own life, I mean, I've had tremendous uh, success again on the personal and professional side. And how did that come about? That was there one certain day or was there an event that made you realize these same traits can be, you know, seen in the business world? And I think it's an opportunity to explore that and help businesses grow from that standpoint, just like athletes do on the court. I believe that I've always known that in the back of my mind. I've always known that sports in general, not just basketball, but sports in general are an unbelievable platform to teach accountability, to teach respect, to teach teamwork, to teach leadership, to teach all of these foundational principles. And that's why I've always been such an advocate of sport and, and certainly encourage as many young people to play sports as possible, that it's it's not about getting college scholarships or getting free sneakers or even uh, being able to play professionally one day. It's about using sport as a vehicle to teach these life lessons. And that was one of the things that was so important to me as I got older in my career was 
you know, I wanted to have that type of influence over the players I worked with that, you know, as I started to get older, and especially as I had my own children, and you think a little bit about your own legacy, I started to think if, if the best thing that someone could say about me was I got them to run faster and jump higher, man, I, I really sold myself short. I, I didn't service and, and help that player to the full maximum of my capabilities. And there's so much more, bi- there, there's much bigger things that we can be doing to influence and impact people than just improving their athleticism. Now, of course, that's what's important to them as a teenager, but I realized that teaching them responsibility and accountability, these other uh, massive traits that are going to be with them well longer than their ability to run faster, jump high was extremely important. And, you know, I've been in the basketball bubble for about 15 years and I have been so fortunate in my life. This game has been so good to me. I have met so many amazing people that have had a tremendous impact on my life. I've been able to travel the world. I've had experiences that I'll never forget and I'll forever be indebted to that. But I also got to a point where speaking at basketball clinics and doing the on-court training was not as exciting to me as it was a few years prior. And uh, that's just simply feedback I had for myself. That's not that's neither positive or negative. It was just feedback. And I'm the type of guy that if you're going to serve others. You have to be all in. I mean, you, your heart, soul, mind, body, everything needs to be all in. And I went through kind of a couple months period about a year ago, whereas I don't want to be overdramatic and say I was burnt out. But I, I definitely didn't have the fire that I had had a couple years before, and I realized that I needed to make some type of pivot. And right around that time, a friend of mine asked if I would speak to a group of fitness professionals at their yearly retreat in Cancun, Mexico. And they said, would you be willing to give an hour talk to our group, about 200 people on leadership, and share some of the things that you've learned from basketball? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That sounds cool. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, and I did that. And it was intoxicating. It was amazing to be able to, to, to tell the same stories and same life lessons that I'd been telling for 15 years, but switch to a new audience. There was something about that that was really invigorating. And the response I got from that was overwhelming. So uh, that kind of real, even though it's a one-time thing, that proved to me, that group's feedback, that the stories and life lessons I'd been accumulating for most of my life in basketball absolutely applied to other areas of life. And when I I did some self-reflection and had some self-awareness and said to myself, look, I'm getting a little burnt out on speaking at basketball clinics about performance work. I just had this opportunity to speak to a, a corporate group, even though they were in fitness, about these life lessons. And it was amazing okay, that's a sign for me. This is, this is what I need to start diving into. And, and uh, I will continue to, to work with Pure Sweat Basketball and to provide resources and, and have my foot in the performance world to serve coaches because I do love that. And I feel indebted to be able to share my expertise with a group of people that I truly care about in players and coaches. Uh, but this, this new calling of sharing this much bigger message to a corporate audience is what's got my full attention and is what's got me really, really excited. And I'm a guy that believes you need to continually evolve and you need to continually pivot and, and make changes and rebrand. And, and, and that's just where I am now. Uh, five or six years from now, you and I may have a, a conversation and the corporate thing may not be doing it for me anymore. And it may be time for me to move on to something else. But uh, I've always been a guy that, that follows my heart follows my gut, my instincts. And this is what I'm doing right now. And I'm, I'm as, I'm as happy and as fulfilled as I've ever been. Now, obviously it sounds like you continue, as you mentioned, to learn and evolve. Are there certain people that you look up to or that have been mentors in your life, uh, especially during some of these transition periods for you? 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that would be an exhaustive list. You know, a few that pop into my head immediately. Uh, Jay Billis, you know, from ESPN uh, is a friend, but it's been a tremendous mentor uh, and, and guiding force in my life. You know, as I started to move into the corporate space, uh, John Gordon, who's a very renowned speaker and author, uh, even though I don't know him particularly well on a personal level, He's been beyond gracious uh, in putting a hand out and offering some some guidance and some mentorship to me. Uh, Kevin Eastman, uh, Tate Locke, uh, George Raveling. I mean, there's there's just been so many people. Uh, Pete Philo of TPG uh, Sports Group uh, has been incredible. Of course, my my team at Pure Sweat with Rich Zaslowski and Drew Hanlon. Uh, those guys have been unbelievable. Uh, I'm very very fortunate that I have a lot of people in my life that have been supportive, um, has been helpful. Uh, they, they mentor me, they guide me, they allow me to bounce ideas off of them. But most importantly, uh, they tell me the things that I need to hear, not the things that I want to hear. And, you know, had, had that entire inner circle told me, Alan, pivoting to this corporate space is a bad idea, man. You, you don't have the skill sets for that. There's no market for it. You'd be a fool to do that. I would have listened to my group because that's how impactful they've been. And to a person, every single one of them said, hot damn, man, this is exactly what you should be doing. You have the, you have the chops for this. Your messages we know will resonate. And there is a huge market that needs this. So when everyone in my inner circle kind of gave me the proverbial high five and the pat on the back and said, go for it, big guy, this is your next calling. Then I knew that it was right. I mean, that's what my heart told me. That's what my gut told me. But when all of these very important and influential people in my life said, oh yeah, man, this is what you need to be doing. Then I knew it was right. And, and that certainly helped. Now, had there been a time in your career doing all of this performance coaching and then transitioning to this business side where you questioned is this the right move? Uh, I'm struggling here. Or were there any periods where you were questioning what you were doing in your life? On a minor level, I would say absolutely. And that's just because I'm a human being and I have normal emotions and thoughts just like everybody else. But on a macro level, I've never doubted any of it for one second. I mean, uh, I've gone through some tougher periods. There were certainly some times in the beginning of my performance business where it was tougher to get things going. But the doubt was never high enough for me to even consider doing anything else. Uh, if anything else, it just lit my fire and put my back against the wall to come out swinging. And same thing on the corporate side. Now, the best part about this is me making this transition now, I'm 41 years old. Uh, I'm amicably divorced. I have three wonderful children that I get to spend a lot of time with and I'm very present with. You know, at 41, I have some life experience now. I mean, I've been mentored and coached and around some of the most brilliant minds on the planet. So uh, I'm much more resilient now. And I'm also much more respectful of the process and not the outcome than I was in my early 20s. So going at this and kind of having this pivot and evolution and rebranding of my career now has been easier because I knew what I was getting into when I was getting into this. I knew that I wasn't just going to hang up my shingle and be a, a renowned speaker in the first month. I knew that it was going to take a couple of years for me to work on this new craft and skill set and rebrand myself in an industry where I had absolutely zero brand recognition. And I knew that going into it. So uh, I was able to temper any expectations. And uh, with that, I've been able to dive completely into the process. So yeah, I have not doubted this for one second. In fact, for the first time in my life, I have some serenity in being patient and I'm kind of taking my time to figure out exactly how I want to approach this. Uh, I say speaker because that's just, 
That's the low-hanging fruit. Going and speaking to a company or at a conference, and I say this with all humility, that's actually the easy part because I've been speaking to people for the last 15 years. So I'm comfortable in front of groups and I'm comfortable telling my story. But I also don't want to just be a speaker. Uh, I want to get into this corporate space to actually have an impact and an influence over the groups I work with. You know, uh, no matter how good of a speaker they are, it can be Tony Robbins, who I think is the best of the best. If he just comes in and talks for one hour, that's not going to have a very long lasting impact on your life. I mean, he's not a magician, no matter how good he is, no matter how good the content, no matter how good the delivery, if you're just a speaker, you're not going to really move the needle a ton. Uh, and I see that with all respect to speakers out there. I mean, that's not their fault. I mean, it's, it's human nature that you're not going to change behavior in a one hour keynote talk. So for me, I'm trying to explore what I want to do above and beyond that. Uh, I'm working on my first book now. Um, I'm, I'm considering doing some leadership coaching, uh, maybe with some CEOs on a one-on-one -on -one level or maybe in small groups. I'm considering holding some retreats for leadership management teams. Uh, I'm doing workshops. So right now, I'm studying the people that are doing it out there. I mean, I, I just spent two days in Tennessee shadowing a gentleman named Coach Michael Burt, who does a really tremendous job uh, coaching CEOs and businesses on, on how to be more productive and more efficient in their work. So I'm really doing my homework to try to figure out a couple things. One, what would I be best at? Am I best being a speaker or would I be better served being a one-on-one -on -one coach for a handful of CEOs? I don't know that yet. I need to figure that out. I also need to figure out, you know, so what my skill sets would lend to. Also, what would I enjoy doing most? Would I enjoy spending half of my time on planes, trains, and automobiles shuffling from conference to conference to go on stage and speak? Uh, maybe, or maybe I'd rather have a handful of companies that I work with and dive into them and, and spend much more time with them so I can actually have an impact on their bottom line, have an impact on their culture. So I'm really in the homework stage of figuring out what's next for me. And, and while I'm in that homework stage, I'm still taking speaking engagements. I'm still writing. I'm still doing workshops. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. But uh, I do so with a very youthful enthusiasm that I'm not worried that I don't have all the answers. And if you ask me right now exactly what I would be doing and how I'd be making a living one year from now, I couldn't even tell you with great specificity. I mean, I know it will be in the corporate space, but I don't know. And it's, it's kind of neat and refreshing and very humbling to not really know that yet and to, to figure this stuff out through trial and error. Now, can you give us a preview of what the book might be about and what the premise would be? Sure. And, and I've, I have a co-author who's helping me with the process. Uh, and the book, for the most part, will be the same theme of everything that we've been discussing on a corporate standpoint. It will be about what the best of the best do during unseen hours. It will be about how to uh, focus on the process and not the outcome. It'll be about how to develop the mindsets and rituals and habits that you need to be successful. Uh, there'll be parts about leadership and teamwork and culture, uh, but it'll also be done in a way that addresses the individual. It addresses leaders. It addresses teams. And I'm also making sure that it's being written in a way that will serve a very broad audience. So even though the book might technically be in the business section and it'll be a business book for CEOs and managers and, and corporate folks. I guarantee you it'll be written in a way that the basketball community, players and coaches and parents will reap tremendous benefit from it. I want, because that's my, that's who's been supporting me my whole career. And I want to make sure that I did a book that a player or coach could pick up, read it, and it would add value to their life. And at the same time, if you run your own business or you have a law practice or whatever, uh, it will add value to your life. So I'm being very strategic in the way that this book is done. Uh, but this book will basically be for anyone 
that wants to become the best version of themselves possible. Well, we're definitely looking forward to it. So I'm excited to hear more news about that in the coming future. And as we wrap up here, Alan, you've shared a lot with us and a lot of things that we can learn from. What some other words of wisdom that you would like to share? You know, one, self-awareness is the key to all of this. And, and I will say in full transparency, when I was going through my divorce, uh, I went through a couple years of counseling and therapy, and that's really what helped me achieve a very high level of self-awareness and what I consider a high emotional IQ. And self-awareness is important for players, for coaches, for business owners, for parents. I mean, any human being, you know, uh, from a basketball player standpoint, I've said before, a player that takes a bad shot is not the most dangerous player on the court. It's the player that takes a bad shot and doesn't know that it was a bad shot. That's the dangerous player. And same thing in life. If, if you don't know what you're really good at, if you don't know what challenges you or what your weaknesses are, if you don't know what you love to do, if you don't know what you don't like doing, you're going to have a much tougher path to being successful and being happy. Self-awareness and knowing yourself inside and out, knowing the good, the bad, and the ugly and we all have the good, the bad, and the ugly, knowing that and being able to look yourself in the mirror and own not only the good stuff, that's the easy stuff. Most people are aware of what they like and what they're good at, but are you aware on a conscious level of what you're scared of, of what your insecurities are, of what, you know, what fears you have? You have to know that stuff if you want to be the best that you're capable of becoming. So self-awareness is crucial. And then to piggyback on that is, is being authentic being your true self. Don't try to be a carbon copy of someone else. You know, I just, I named earlier a ton of very influential and impactful mentors that I've had. I don't try to be any one of those guys. I try to take traits that they have and emulate their certain traits that, that I believe will help me be the best version of myself. But as much as I, I love and respect Jay Billis, I'm not trying to be Jay Billis. You know, I want to take some of the tenets of success that he's used to become the best college basketball analyst and an all-around great human being, I want to take some of those traits and incorporate them in my life so that I can be the best Allen Stein Jr. that I can be, but I don't want to be anyone else. And when you have the awareness and the confidence to be truly authentic, then just follow your heart, follow your gut, do, do what it is that you love to do. You know, For me, I certainly would like to make a, enough money that I can be financially free, that I know that my children can can have and do the things that they want to do that I know that I'll be financially free until uh, whenever this show is over for me. But I've also realized at 41 that money is not the most important thing to me, that having a very high quality of life, doing what I love to do with the people that I love is way more important than just making money. So for me, uh, that's what's put me on this path. I found a, a calling that I'm unbelievably purposeful about that I truly believe serves people. I have a schedule that allows me to pour into my own children and be present with them, but at the same time, have enough time to work on the things that I love. And the last thing I'll leave your listeners with is to remember that everything is a choice. That's a tough pill for some people to swallow because there's some people listening right now that are probably saying, you know, hey, I have a job that I don't like. That's not my choice. Well, ac actually it is. You having that job is 100% a choice. A job is completely voluntary. Now, I'm not going to trivialize that and say that you could just quit tomorrow morning and everything would be fine. It may take some big steps and it may take some time, but who you choose to, to spend your time with is a choice. If you don't like the people you're spending time with, then find different people. Your vocation is a choice. Uh, you, who you spend your time with, your friends, your spouse, those are all choices. Uh, your success and your happiness, therefore, 
is also a choice. And I really believe with, with all love, grace, and respect that life is way too short to spend a lot of time doing things that we don't enjoy doing or that we don't feel like has meaning. So surround yourself with wonderful people that uplift you and support you. Uh, find meaning in your work. If you're working a job that you just can't stand and you don't find purpose in it, then start looking to do something else. And uh, when, you, when you own the fact that all of these are choices that you make and that you and only you are 100% responsible, responsible for where you are today in your happiness and your success, then and only then will you start to make changes. And I've come to that conclusion over the last couple of years. And I really give that mindset the full credit for me being as happy as I've ever been. Excellent words of wisdom there, Alan. And again, you have shared quite a bit. We can hear the passion in your voice, and I'm excited to watch you continue down this pathway. I know it's very exciting. And as a basketball guy talking to you, uh, another basketball guy, I do have to ask you one last question. Sure. You have one pick as a general manager, NBA franchise, who you're selecting today. I mean, if I'm picking today... And I'm biased because I've known him since he was 15 years old. I'm, I'm picking Kevin Durant as my number one. I do believe right now that LeBron is the best player on the planet and KD is a very close second. Uh, but I also think KD has a little bit more longevity in him left. Uh, but boy, LeBron is as special of a player as I've ever seen. And, and certainly you can go down the list. I mean, Stephen Curry is, is borderline magical. There's some other really good players. But, you know, to be 6'10 and have the skill sets uh, and the humility and the ability to pour into a team that Kevin Durant has, uh, I would take Kevin Durant with my number one pick. That's not a bad selection, sir, and a very valid point regarding KD's longevity relative to LeBron's. But even with KD taking the title this year, I'm still selecting LeBron to start my team. Well, Alan, I can't thank you enough for your time, and I'm looking forward to following your next move and endeavors. And speaking of those moves, what's the best way for anyone listening to find you and your latest updates? My pleasure. And uh, you can go to alansteinjr.com. That's A-L-A-N-S-T-E-I-N-J-R.com. And I'm also at Alan Stein Jr., same spelling on all social uh, on all social networks. So if there's anything I can do to serve any of your listeners, it'd be my honor to do it. And I, I really appreciate your time today and your interest in, in allowing me to share my passion. Can you spell energy? I'm not sure if it's E-N-E-R-G-Y or A-L-A-N-S-T-E-I-N. Without question, Alan is a man full of energy and also just a ton of passion. I know you could hear it in his voice. I definitely did. And I really hope you picked up on the other thing after listening to his story. You know, he's truly someone that has the maturity to look in the mirror. And if he doesn't like what he sees, then he's okay with taking action and making the necessary changes. And he also has the self-awareness to remove those, what I call stubborn blinders in, in order to evolve and pivot as he described, in which I think that's one of the key traits of all successful leaders. And I know I learned a ton after spending time with Alan, and I already have plans staying connected with him in the future, and I hope you are able to follow him as well. Now, moving to something else we learned after the first full weekend of college football here in 2017, and what I think the key takeaway that I learned is something that, that I've already been a big believer in, and that's just how sports is the ultimate reality show. There's no scripts. 
Nothing is pre-planned. It's just all action, and you never know where and when the drama will unfold. You have to take a look at, was it the unbelievable comeback by UCLA against Texas A&M? Down 44-10 to and somehow scored 35 unanswered points. What about Tennessee? Somehow, and I don't know how they did, but they came up with an unbelievable stop on a two-point conversion that sealed the win in double overtime after they trailed by 14 in the second half. And then don't forget the largest upset by point spread standards, and that's Howard University taking down UNLV 43-40 to after being a 45-point underdog. And then two stories that are just the ultimate. And the first is Jake Olson, the long snapper for Southern Cal, who's been blind since he was 12 years old. And now he was able to get into the game against Western Michigan and perform a perfect snap on an extra point. And then the reality show just continues with Tim Alexander, who was once a star athlete in high school but was paralyzed after a car wreck in 2006. And now Tim eventually graduated from UAB in 2015, and he was instrumental in leading the fight to have the UAB football program reinstated after it was dissolved. And in their first game after the program was reinstated against Alabama A&M, which they won 38-7, Tim got out of his wheelchair and took several steps to midfield to deliver the game ball. So if you don't think sports impacts our lives in so many different ways, then you definitely weren't watching what I call the ultimate reality show this past weekend. Okay, let's finish this episode with the weekly words of wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom. This week, we look to a quote from author Will Durant from his book, The Story of Philosophy, The Lives and Opinions of the World's Greatest Philosophers, where he sums up some of Aristotle's thoughts and pins this quote regarding excellence and how excellence is not just somewhat of a mere act, that you can easily do or not do, almost like turning a light switch on or off, but it really starts by developing habits. And he quotes, Excellence is an art won by training and habituation. We do not act rightly because we have virtue or excellence, but we rather have those because we have acted rightly. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Now, I would have to tell you, I'm not reading this philosophy book. I just love that quote. So I don't want you to think that I'm diving into the greatest philosophers out there. But this just hit home for me when I saw this quote. And it really goes back to what I discussed earlier about our guest in episode 16, Ryan Hawk, and also our guest here in episode 26, Alan Stein Jr. And it's about the concept of sustained excellence. And in order to have sustained excellence, in which I really think that's real excellence, then you must constantly be training and developing those habits to reach that type of excellence. Now that finishes up episode 26 and focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening. 